create a design, upload it to a store, and earn passive royalties whenever it sells? That was the dream of the Merch by Amazon and Print On Demand side hustle. But does it really still work? Let's find it. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, because if you want to make extra money, go where the cash is already flowing. We're going to dive into an example of that today with Michael Essek. Hi, I'm Michael Essek. I'm a t-shirt designer and illustrator from Manchester in the UK. For the past four or five years, I've been making six figures plus through licensing and selling my designs via the internet. You can learn more about Michael's work at michaelessek.com, E-S-S-E-K, which I'll link up for you along with all the other resources you're about to hear in the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash Michael. Stick around in this one as we cover the state of print on demand as a side hustle, how to come up with product ideas without being a copycat, and some interesting ways to level up your merch business as a gateway to bigger opportunities and long-term success. Now, before we dive in, a quick definition is probably in order. If you're not familiar, merch or print on demand is what I think is a really cool business model that allows you to sell physical products of your own design without touching any inventory. You can upload those designs to Amazon or to any one of a dozen other platforms, set your prices, and they handle the rest. And you earn a little bit of profit on every order, but it can add up as it certainly has for Michael. Now, in our email correspondence prior to this episode, and I actually owe a thank you to Stacy Caprio from episode 323 for the introduction, Michael described merch and print-on-demand as an increasingly competitive landscape, but emphasized, yes, there's still opportunity here. Ready? Let's do it. It's become a much busier place. It's become something that obviously people begin to learn about the technology and also the websites and the and the platforms that people can sell through. And I think it has become more of a place where you have to do something unique and original and you have to be able to bring something to the party that not everyone can. Whether that means knowing about a particular niche or market really well that you know in such detail that you have such insights for that you're able to create designs very quickly for them. But I still think it's it's still kind of early days for the technology and certainly for some of the websites and the platforms. And I think for people who who really invest in it and really kind of hunker down at it and are willing to put in the effort for, you know, a year, maybe two years before it really starts to rocket, I think there's there's a good long-term prospects for anyone entering the space right now. What are the biggest platforms for your sales or for what you're seeing out there right now? So after Merch by Amazon, Redbubble is probably my biggest, then TeePublic, which has been growing very fast. Redbubble actually owns TeePublic, so they are separate sites. They operate separately, but they're owned by the same company. They're owned by Redbubble. And then Etsy has been picking up a lot. So as you know, I know, Nick, you you have some experience with this, but you can sell on Etsy and use a fulfillment partner like Printful or Printify. So those are the big ones. There, There are several other sites as well. There's Threadless, there's Society6, there's several others, but those are the big ones. Merch by Amazon, Redbubble, TeePublic, and Etsy are the ones that really work for me. Do you maintain your own storefront through Shopify or anything like that? Or is it like, I'm only going to sell through these platforms? 
No, I, I've done Shopify as well. It's not a big part of my business at the moment. We still make the occasional sale. But two or three years ago, I was heavily doing Shopify, was focusing on that and, and growing that and grew a, grew a pretty substantial Instagram following from that, or really, I should say, for that and you know was able to monetize that through Shopify. But it's, it's become less of a thing now. I think I've found my sweet spot is somewhere between online licensing and creating designs and actually licensing them offline as well over the past few years. That's been something that we've started to do. So that's kind of been my focus, less direct sales. Closest thing is is Etsy, which we still do quite a lot of. Yeah, it's kind of going where we call it the buy buttons theory or the buy buttons strategy, where if you want to make some money, go where the cash is already flowing. And it's already flowing to these marketplaces, call them you know, mini search engines where people are going, they're looking for interesting products and they've got their credit card out. They're ready to spend some money. And so it makes sense, especially as a new seller, rather than trying to drive traffic to a previously unknown entity. It's like, hey, look, I can tap into these pre-existing audiences. Yeah, I definitely recommend that to people. You know, people ask me all the time where to start and stuff. And I say, once you've got some traction on the organic channels, then you can start to think about maybe Shopify store and stuff like that. But until you really have proven that you can create stuff that people want to buy and that you're you're in line with, you know, a certain market and a target market and a niche, then really it's a hard hard task to to jump straight into Shopify and start doing all your own marketing. That's a that's a tricky one for a lot of people. And it does take a while to not only to build up the skills, but also you need a bit of capital as well to start doing that with Shopify. And what I was able to do was take some of that money we earned through Redbubble and all the other platforms, employ that towards, you know, growing a Shopify and an Instagram following. What's a typical profit per sale on Merch by Amazon or Redbubble? You're usually looking around the sub $5 mark. So I think, yeah, our average Redbubble is probably around three or four British pounds, which would probably be four, maybe five US dollars. It's probably similar on on Merch by Amazon on most most sales. It is a competitive marketplace. Of course, you're up against other sellers and there is leeway on the pricing on both Redbubble and Merch by Amazon. So you can raise your prices, you can lower your prices. And obviously, if you want to be in the mix, you need to be competitive there. Um, but I typically tend to keep my prices pretty high. I think people are willing to pay an extra few dollars for a shirt that really is what they're looking for and is exactly what they had in mind. And there's there's T-Public as well. T-Public actually has a different model. They don't actually allow you to change the pricing. T-Public have a fixed price for every T-shirt. And that means you only, well, you get $4, I think, for a T-shirt in, in a normal situation. And T-Public runs sales usually every month where they drop the price of the shirt down and you would get $2 per sale. But it actually works out really well. T-Public are very good at their marketing. And usually, in fact, T-Public has been rocketing past Redbubble the past few months for us because they, they do such a good job of increasing traffic to the site during that sale time. So yeah, those are those are kind of the typical per sale numbers you're looking at. So obviously, it's a volume play. You have to sell a lot of t-shirts across several platforms in order to make this work over the long term, which means you need to have a lot of designs. And you probably, after a while, you need to have a couple of established bestsellers that kind of keep bringing in sales month after month. It's very hard to make a reliable income from this if you have a design that takes off for a month and then next month it drops off and it's dead. And every month you have to keep on chasing a trend. So you really need to start building up. And this takes time, of course, but you you start building up a portfolio of evergreen type designs that will sell regularly throughout the year. Can you give me a sense of the size of 
your portfolio today in terms of the number of designs? It's complicated because on Merch by Amazon, you, you can create lots of different products from, the same, from a small number of designs. So we probably have somewhere between 5,000 to 7,000 unique designs, like unique artworks. But on Amazon, what that actually translates to is we have like 20,000, 25,000, 30,000 actual listings on Merch by Amazon. And obviously, it's less on, on some of the other channels and stuff. But yeah, that's probably our portfolio roughly right now. And each one of those is a chance to be discovered in search. It's, it's just ones and zeros. It's not taking up space in anybody's warehouse. But if somebody buys it, it gets created and shipped out. Like to do this business 20 years ago, I guess Cafe Press was probably around 20 years ago. But like, absolutely. <laughs> but there was Cafe this- Press and like Zazzle, I think was one of the early ones as well. But yeah, the, the ability to create a bazillion variations and, and then have them printed on demand only when a customer orders them. Yeah, the technology is is incredible. And obviously, like you say, it has been around for a while. It's been around for maybe 15 years, but it's not really entered into like general consumer knowledge. People are not really aware that this is possible. And I think there's still a lot of ground to be broken. There's still a lot of products. There's still a lot of use cases where we'll see this technology, you know, print on demand continue to, to really grow and expand as we go forward. Have you jumped on the mask printing trend? Not personally. I mean, Redbubble does masks. C Public does masks. Merch by Amazon doesn't. I do know several people who have who've made a killing through. That's maybe a bad word to say, but um, they've made a good income from from selling masks over the past few months. And in particular, I know personally one guy who had the two best selling masks on Redbubble for for the first few months of the pandemic. And yeah, it really. <laughs> really was great. The funny thing about that is he had these designs which were not, he didn't create new designs for for the masks. He had a couple of designs in his portfolio that just happened to really apply very well to, to the situation we were all in. So they were very funny, they were very poignant, very on trend, and they just took off for him. And these were obviously designs that he created, I don't know, a year, two years, three years ago. But, you know, he just put them on masks, not really thinking twice about it, and they took off. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, we've had designs take off in the past month, which are years old, have nothing to do with a pandemic, but they've caught on and they've kind of created a buzz around them because they fit so well with what's happening right now. So that kind of stuff happens and it, it's great when that does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. As far as syndicating the products, are you just like every product goes to every outlet or is it kind of, is there more strategy behind TeePublic and Redbubble and merch and, and the Etsy stuff? Curious how that it's works. It's definitely changed. In the early days, it was put everything everywhere. You know, once I kind of, I think I started with a few designs on Redbubble. This was before much by Amazon or anything when I was just dipping my feet in the water. And it took maybe a month or so for me to get my first sale. But once I'd proved the concept, once I got that email that said, you've made a sale, you've made three pounds or whatever it was, I was like, okay, right, let's go. And I started churning out designs, started thinking about it. And and yeah, in the early days, it was very much lots of late nights, staying up, listing lots of designs on lots of different websites not really knowing which websites were going to win or not. I didn't know anything about organic traffic, on which sites were the best, on which sites had the most traffic. So I just put everything everywhere. But yeah, definitely nowadays, we have a lot of designs on merch, which we wouldn't put on Redbubble or TeePublic. They're just not really applicable to that market. Redbubble does very well with pop culture stuff, with lots of graphic, funny tees, pun-based stuff, anything that's on trend and, and is really pop or internet culture related. Whereas with Merch by Amazon, you can almost, you know, if anything's going to sell anywhere, it's going to sell on Amazon. You know, there's nothing that anyone ever wants to buy. You know, if you're going to be able to reach them, it's through Amazon. So we put everything on Amazon. But yeah, with TeePublic, with Redbubble, it's different. And with Etsy, of course, you're kind of, you kind of have that brand element, especially if you want to kind of build it for the long term. With Etsy, we do take a bit more care as to, is this design in line with our brand? Does it fit our target market and demographic? And is it something we can kind of stand behind long term? You know, is it just a, a trend that's going to be here one day and gone the next? Or is it going to be a design that we can kind of stand behind for, for years to come? Yeah. You say we, are there other folks helping you create the designs? Yeah, it's kind of, I always fall back into that. So when I mean we, I mean my my business now, which is me, my sister works for me and her husband and my mom as well. So kind of a family affair. I do have a couple of designers who I who I outsource work to if I feel I can't create a design like I'd want to, or I don't have the time. But usually I'm involved in almost all the designing. I haven't ever really truly outsourced this stuff. I've got people on board for certain projects, but I've never been completely hands-off and just hired people to do designs for me because I've always had in the back of my mind that we're building a portfolio of designs that we want to sell and license for years to come. Well, let's talk about that. How a new, an aspiring merch designer, an aspiring POD seller would get started because I go to merch.amazon.com today and it still says like request an invite. Like are those happening faster than they have in the past? 
I mean, it's hard to say, but yeah, certainly it seems to me that people are getting invites thicker and faster than they, they used to. Certainly, I remember the times when, well, I remember the times when there was no invite system. And then I remember the invite system coming in. And I remember people waiting months, six months or even longer to, to get invites. So yeah, I think people can get in very quickly these days. There is the tier system, which, you know, you only have 10 slots, 10 design slots on merch to begin with. And then if once, if you sell 10, you get upgraded to 25 and it kind of rolls on like that. So yeah, it's not it's not something people can jump into and dive into and expect to make big money straight away at all with with merch. It's a slow burn and you have to really kind of put in the effort and the time to to start getting some traction. So, I mean, the advice I usually give people is start with something you know, start with a niche or a hobby or a market that you are personally invested in. I would even say don't worry about it being too small. People are always thinking in reverse. People always think, let me go and search for what's popular and do some designs around that. In my opinion, especially with this kind of business, you'd be much better off targeting a very small niche market and doing something that would really make sense to them, whether it's an in-joke or a reference that only people within that community know about. That's where I would I would begin. And that is, I just think that's a much more a likely way for you to pick up traction. And if you're looking on Amazon for what's already selling, you're looking at what's already selling, which means it's competitive. Everyone's looking at the same data. Everyone can see that this is what's selling. Whereas if you've got some... And for for a long time, that was the strategy. And that's kind of one of the things that has bothered me about this business is that's the strategy. Hey, go look at the top sellers in clothing, figure out which ones are print on demand, try and, you know, make this design better, which is like uh, basically copying... Yeah. I could talk for hours about <laughs> the ins and outs of the the morals of copyright and copycatting or improve catting and stuff like that. And it's similar to anywhere where there's a, an organic marketplace, you know, whether it's YouTube, which is basically an organic search-driven market, or Google, people doing blog posts and then looking at the blogs that are ranking and then trying to do a better blog post. So they rank. It's a similar kind of principle. The problem with when you apply it to t-shirts is it's a design. It, we're not talking about a blog post that takes someone hours to write, and we're not talking about a video that takes someone days to make. We're talking about a t-shirt design that literally, if you want to steal it, you can download it and steal it. Or you could screenshot it, send it to a designer, and have him cre- recreate it, probably within a matter of minutes or hours or something. I think that's what's sad and weird about this situation with Print On Demand is it's so easy for people to copy and it's so easy for people to improve that it does lead to this kind of race to the bottom and everyone's chasing what's selling and it just kind of disintegrates and stuff. First of all, I wouldn't recommend that people really think of any of these platforms as the end goal. I wouldn't say that people should, you know, if you've got a merch by Amazon business and it's making several thousand dollars a month, that's not the end result because you're still making a lot of money on someone else's platform in someone else's sandbox. And merch can turn things off with a click. We've seen that happen this year. Or they can kick you off or someone can copy you and drink your milkshake. So I've always seen these organic platforms as a tool to build something more long-term. So in my case, that's been we've built a brand, a kind of an art and design-led brand, which has allowed us to license our designs offline and really build a, a bit of a following in a brand like that. But it could be something else for someone else. You know, It could be that you treat these platforms as cash cows that help you build up some cash that you then invest in the other kind of business, whether it's related or not, that you really want to pursue. So for artists and designers, by which I mean someone who has a a leaning and a skill around design, that's kind of why I got started in it and why I think I succeeded in it, is I was able to look at 
designs and go, well, that's not very good. I know I can do better than that. And I know that, you know, I can create something that really connects with people and I know what they're looking for. If you're that kind of person, you have that kind of skill, then it's a great opportunity because what you're doing is over years, you're building up this portfolio of designs, which is yours, which you control and you own and you have the copyright to. And then you can go and say, oh, you know, I can license this here or I can license it there. I could start my own Shopify store or whatever it is, my own Instagram following or, or whatever. And then you've got really something that's more like a brand, more something you really control. Yeah, it's this fine line between these original creative thoughts and like starting in a niche, like I want to make sure it's about yoga or baseball or skiing or whatever it is that you're into or podcasting. And then also trying to take into consideration what is popular, what is selling, because I've had people kind of post in the Facebook group, like, here's my, here's my t-shirt design. Why isn't it selling? And it's like, it's kind of this cool original art, but there is no pop culture reference. Nobody would discover it organically through any sort of keyword search. There seems to be a fine line and curious how you might combat that. Yeah. So one of the things I, I share with my followers and viewers and stuff is ask yourself these three questions about any design. So the first question is who, which is who is going to wear that design. The second question is why, why are they going to, why do they want to buy it? You know, there's lots of different reasons people buy a shirt. You mentioned that people buy shirts to show off or to kind of display to their friends. You know, it might be a funny joke or something. They want to get a laugh out of people. People buy t-shirts for gifts for their friends. That's another motivation why people buy things. So who's going to wear it? Who do you have in your, your head? What are they interested in? All that kind of stuff. Why are they going to wear it? And then how are they going to find it? And especially with organic stuff, that's the, that's the big question. Is there, you know, are there search terms? Are there words? Are there phrases that you can use to describe your design? Obviously, if there aren't, you're in, you're in trouble. If you can't think of any, you really are in trouble, but usually people can, especially if you're a designer or a, or an illustrator or something, you probably innately know that you can describe your artwork using certain words, whether that's anime or cartoony or realistic or sketchy, or I don't know, it could be a certain kind of aesthetic or something. So there's lots of to different... What, to what extent can you use existing trademarks and brand marks in that type of search? Like, shirts for Star Wars fans or something like, would you be allowed to put that in your listing and use like licensed characters and stuff? No, that's a very dangerous place to play. Now, having said that, lots of people do play in that space, but I think that space is going to get much more difficult over the coming years as, as copyright becomes a bigger issue and, and as platforms get sued and stuff. So I think, yeah, that that's not really safe. But what you can do is look for... Even like Star Wars, you could say, well, what, what are some generic terms around Star Wars that you could use? Well, you can talk about space. You can talk about, I don't know, sci-fi and things like this. Like there's legitimate words and phrases you can use around things. Obviously, you're not going to get people who are looking for a Star Wars t-shirt, but hey, guess what? They were looking for a Star Wars t-shirt anyway. Unless you're Disney, you don't have the IP to Star Wars, so you better stay away from it. And you better start thinking about a way you can find something that you can create and that is legitimate and that you won't have copyright issues for. Are you allowed to put like movie quotes or even like song lyric quotes? Again, it's it tricky. I mean, th there's kind of a two issue thing here. The number one is, is it legal? And I think there's, there's some debate to be had about, for example, I interviewed a t-shirt artist recently. He, he has one of his best selling designs is quite a popular one. And it's a, it's the, the lyric from the Bonnie Tyler song, every now and then I fall apart. And it's a picture of a taco. 
So obviously, it's a funny joke, but it's not his his lyric. But obviously, it's his idea, and he's got this unique take on it. Now, I would say that's obviously that's legitimate. That's fine. Is the song lyric copyrighted? I don't know, maybe technically, but the chances of that ever leading to legal problems are, I think, pretty minimal. Because in my view, and from the limited bit of reading around copyright law I've done, he's done something transformative to that work. And he's created something that's clearly unique, clearly original. And insurance is that, but it's not the same thing. So in those kind of cases, if you can do something clever like that, I think you're probably on safer ground. The other kind of angle to this is, if you're using just song lyrics, are people going to be searching for those song lyrics? How many people search for just the lyrics or just the quote t-shirt? Much more likely people are going to search for Bonnie Tyler shirt or whatever it might be. And that's where you run into problems. So the problem if you do a, let's say you did an original Darth Vader t-shirt or something, if you can't describe it as Darth Vader t-shirt, how are you ever going to get people to see it and to buy it? Because you can't use those words, it means that it's basically a dead end. It's not really worth pursuing. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. So I like these three questions. Who's going to buy it? Why will they buy it? And how are they going to find it? How are they going to find it? So recommending for new sellers to start in a niche or with an audience that you kind of are a part of yourself. So you can kind of speak the language and kind of, I'm hearing kind of cross-referencing what is already out there because it's like, what type of, you know, is it graphic art type of prints or designs? Is it just text-based designs? Like, what are, what's this market already buying? And saying, like, okay, how can you contribute to that in, in some unique and meaningful way? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the way I got started, or, or in the early days, I was, I was hanging around in Reddit a lot. There was certain subreddits that, I don't know, for six months or something, would really I'd be really interested in. I'd be interested in this subject. Uh, one example would be, like, Bitcoin. I was interested in Bitcoin for quite a while. If you're genuinely interested in a subject like that, like I was, not professionally, but simply, hey, this is interesting, this is new, I'm interested in it, I want to know what's happening in the space, then you naturally pick up what people are talking about and what phrases and jokes people are using, what in-jokes recur over and over again. And so if you put that knowledge together with the ability to create a t-shirt and stuff, this was back in the days when it was a bit easier to share something on Reddit and not get spammed or shouted down or or removed or something. But I would occasionally just drop in a t-shirt here or there in certain subreddits and say, hey, I'm working on this design. What do you guys think? But I was already part of the community. I wasn't like a new face just coming in and spamming people. And I was usually actually bringing something very original and unique. And it was often You know, if you think about like a meme or something that someone comes up with, you know, they come up with a funny joke or a funny meme, people like it and they react well to it. It's the same kind of principle. That kind of thing works well. So if you can do that, if you have some knowledge about a space, then it's less a a question of, do I do text only? Do I do graphics? Do I do it on black? Do I do it on white? All, All these kind of questions. It's much more, if you know the community, you know, you're likely to know what they're going to respond well to. And it's, everything becomes a lot easier then. So. But I can only really speak from my uh, experience and what I think I can advise people to do. And I do see, I get messages and, and stuff from a lot of beginners, and they just create generic T-shirt designs that they see being popular or whatever, and they try and do it in a slightly different way, and then they put it on Redbubble or Merch by Amazon, and then they come back a month or two and say, I haven't sold anything. And I'm looking at their portfolios like, well, what did you expect? You haven't done anything new and original. You haven't brought something unique to the table. You aren't targeting a specific niche. 
So how would you ever get useful feedback or data on this stuff? You know, you can't even go to a subreddit or an Instagram influencer or any kind of forum online where you could actually get a bit of interest or even some feedback. You know, forget selling shirts. Let's just say, does this actually appeal to you, nameless group, whoever you are, whatever you're interested in, and just get some feedback or whatever. And and if you're not doing that, and if you're just trying to piggyback on what's already sold, I think you're just in for a very difficult, slow ride. And it's going to be a slow ride anyway, but it's going to be a lot quicker if you can do something that's unique, original, and bringing something new to the to the party. Yeah, I think this is the, where it gets fun, like to come up with those sayings. And even if, whether or not it's been done before, like if I feel like if I came up with it first, then whatever, I don't feel bad about creating something that is similar. But that's like the really fun part. And then even just scrolling through on some of these t-shirt sites, you're like, dang, that's like really creative. I don't know, like a lot of pop culture references and stuff. They're really funny. I imagine after thousands and thousands of products, you've got kind of a, I don't know if how product research is the right word, but some kind of process before you ever sit down to design the thing. Like, I'm curious what that might look like today for you to say like, okay, here's product number 5001 to the portfolio. Ready? Let's Let's go and make sure this is going to be a hit. Or or can you even know, like, what can you do to set yourself up for success pre-design? Yeah. So one of the first things is that you do have to understand that this is a volume play. And of the thousands of designs we have, maybe only 20 to 30% of those have ever sold. And certainly the 80-20 rule applies when it comes to best sellers versus small sellers. So if you can go in kind of prepared for that, I think that's very useful. A lot of people will create designs, get discouraged that they don't, they're not selling, and then they'll, they'll get discouraged and, and drop out and leave it. So I think if you can go in knowing that, okay, I'm going to create 10 designs, eight of those are going to do next to nothing, but two might sell. And then you kind of improve from there and you iterate and you go, okay, well, what was it about those two designs that made them successful? Was it the niche I was going after? Was it the design that was better than the competitor? Or was it something unique that I did that no one else did? Maybe it was not driven at all by what was out there in the market. You simply had a unique idea. You whacked it on a t-shirt and you put it up there and you just hoped for the best. And to be honest, a lot of my bestsellers are just that. There are random ideas that I've had Sometimes when just waking up in the morning when you're kind of fuzzy headed and some crazy idea will pop in your head. And I would just make a massive list. I just use Evernote and just jot down any ideas I had throughout the day. And then once a week, I'd go through the list and be like, eh, nah, nah, yeah, okay, yeah, that one. And then I'd pick some out and, and design them. And some of them would be, okay, I know there's kind of a market for this, but I don't really know what the market is. And others would be, I don't know if anyone would ever find this funny, but I think it's hilarious. So I'm going to create it and I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to hope for the best. And some of my bestsellers have been just just those designs. So yeah, when it comes to these days now, I think I do have a better, because I've been doing it for so long, I have a better feeling for what kind of designs I think will sell. I was going to ask if if you were able to improve that hit rate where a huge percentage of the products that you create never sell at all, which is like, hugely depressing, but you got to kind of go in understanding it is a numbers game, but have you been able to improve those averages over time? Yeah, it's hard to say because it's not an easy thing to track, but I do think my success rate has gone up. My batting average is up, if that's the right term, and over time. I was actually going to use that. I was like, ah, I don't know if they're big into baseball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I pick up a lot of Americanisms over here. Yeah, I think because you're just exposed to it and you just kind of get a feel over time for, you know, I know what my best sellers are now. So I know that, for example, certain niches work very well. And I know that 
you know, I've kind of, I don't know whether like domination of a particular niche is the right word, but there are certain niches where we have cornered the market to a certain extent. And so I know that these designs do well, and we're probably going to find success putting up more similar designs, whether it's stuff that people haven't quite clocked onto yet, that we're just ahead of the curve or whatever. So there's that. And then a lot of it is just, yeah, kind of what I just said. Like, if you feel something, if you have an emotional connection to something, often that emotional connection will be shared by another human being. I just had an example last week of someone in my Facebook group who said, Uh, She posted a design for critique. I critiqued it and I actually said, you know, I don't think it's very good. Here's some things you need to change. She actually posted a a slightly improved version on her personal Facebook profile the next day. And she, she did two versions of the design. So she said, do you like this one? It was like on blue or do you like this one? It was on black. And she got like four or five comments saying blue, black. And like one person said, where can I buy it or something? So she sent them a link and someone bought one. And then another person was the head of a book club or something. And they liked it so much that they bought like 10 or 20 designs just from this one post on her Facebook profile. And the design is too difficult for me to describe, not that it's complex, but it doesn't really make much sense. This was kind of what I was saying to her. I was like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't get what the market is. I don't really get the joke. I think it needs a bit more work. But she was just like, you know what? I'm just going to post it anyway. So she did and people bought it. So it just goes to show that if something makes sense to you or if it kind of clicks with you, hey, chances are it will click with someone else. And and as long as you kind of have a basic grasp of, I have to describe this thing. I have to give it the best chance possible of being seen by the people I want to purchase it. As long as that's kind of somewhere in your mind, then I think there are a lot of situations where you can make sales like that. But of course, it, it, you still have to be prepared for the 80-20 rule and creating a lot of work that just never never sells anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the discoverability element here, where it's like you could come up with the most clever thing in the world, but if, you know, what keywords are people going to type in to find it? Because a lot of these are search driven and some of them are kind of like the thrill of discovery and just endless scroll type of stuff, but it's a lot more difficult. And I think one of the ones that we made or at least thought about making was like a glass of wine or a bottle of wine. It says like mommy's grape juice or something. And it's like, okay, you could type in like wine t-shirt, funny wine shirt, gifts for wine lovers, like keywords like that. It's just weird, like especially with Amazon. I have no way to prove this because Amazon unfortunately doesn't give us stats on how people found your design or anything like that. But I do think a lot of things comes from people looking for, I don't know, they search for, maybe they just search for like Bitcoin or something, not Bitcoin t-shirt, but maybe they're, they're just interested in Bitcoin or they're looking to get a book about Bitcoin. But because they search Bitcoin, some Bitcoin t-shirts show up and then you've got someone who's interested in Bitcoin and now they've seen a t-shirt on Amazon and it's prime and it looks cool and it's got five reviews and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to buy that. And I think there's there's quite a lot of that kind of organic searching stuff that goes on and you can, just like you said, I've done it myself. There's, I don't know how many designs that I wanted to create, but couldn't really think of a strong enough angle to where they would fit or what words to use. But honestly, there's been so many where you'd be like, there's no way that's going to sell. There's no market for it. How do you describe it? And yet it somehow someone's been able to find it and it's sold. So there's a lot of angles that people don't think about because they limit themselves to thinking this is about a subject instead of who's it for? Why do they want to wear it? What's the motivation and all those kind of things. And there's a lot of options there, I think. And have you found during quarantine time <laughs> that people are still shopping and buying this stuff like to show off? to their coworkers on Zoom calls or something? Yeah, I think that could be one reason they're buying stuff. But I think just in general, of course, people have been online more. Online sales are going through the roof. Amazon sales going through the roof. 
But yeah, we've seen big upticks at most print-on-demand platforms and sites. They're reporting numbers and sales like what they would expect to do in quarter four. And obviously, they're not prepared for that. There's been a lot of slow turnaround in products because we're in quarter two and everyone's like, what's going on? So on top of all the quarantine measures and the shutdowns, you've had record sales numbers. And yeah, we, we've noticed that in our sales, it's been very helpful, especially as much by Amazon has been shut down. And especially Etsy seems to be rocketing at the moment. Yeah, I think t-shirts are, they're ubiquitous, aren't they? They're never going to go out of fashion. People are always going to want t-shirts. They're just going to want something different on a t-shirt or the design is going to be different or the message is going to be different. And there's so many applications for t-shirts that, yeah, I think it's an industry where there's always something new that you can create a design for. So you're never going to run out of possibilities. There might be more competition. You might have to do it better and smarter and more original than, than you did a year or two ago. But you'll always have options for something to create. There'll always be something out there that someone could buy on a t-shirt. Tell me about this Etsy stuff for a little bit, because this is something that is is very interesting to me. And you mentioned it before, where there's more of a brand element to there. Where like It's your storefront. It's kind of public. Like All of the designs within that storefront are all the products available. And so I'm curious if you would have it set up as like shirts for yogis or being specific to the audience that you're trying to target or go a little bit broader and saying like Michael's t-shirt store. Yeah. It's an ongoing kind of debate and uh, people have different perspectives on it. I've kind of tried both ways, but I think, you know, long-term and Etsy is kind of, you know, it's in that halfway house. It's not, it's not like merch by Amazon where you upload a design and that's it. And you hope for the best and you're not getting any data. You're getting nothing. You, you know, you don't know. I mean, you, you get, sales data, but you don't get information on how they found you. You don't get information on where they came from or anything like that. Whereas with Etsy, they're telling you, these are your top search terms. These are your top channels where people came from and stuff. So you're getting a bit more information and you're able to have your little avatar, have your banner, have your header image, you send them a message after they've bought, possibly try and give them a discount or encourage them to maybe visit your own website where they might be able to put their email address in and something. You could kind of do things like that. So it's in that halfway house, you know, it's not quite Shopify, but it's not quite much by Amazon. And yeah, I think it is, if you're going for that kind of long-term approach, I want to build a brand, or even if you're not quite sure, but you're kind of thinking that's where you want to go towards, then it's very hard to build a brand that is my general t-shirt store with lots of t-shirt designs that cover a million different niches and all this kind of stuff. And it's a lot easier to say, okay, this is going to be a Etsy store for goth girls or something like that. So goth females in their early 20s who like heavy metal music and stuff like that, but I'm going to do funny designs for those people or something like that. And then every design is kind of related to one another. You know, they could be completely different, but they're still kind of appealing to that demographic. And I think that's where I would kind of try to head towards because then you're building a bit of a brand. You can get some reviews. You can link your Twitter and your Facebook and stuff. And hopefully... If you do it right, over time, that kind of builds a bit of a following. And then when you want to make the leap to to your Shopify store or something, you can do that and you have a bit of something behind you. Are reviews important for, for Amazon or for Redbubble, for that matter? Not on Redbubble. Redbubble doesn't really have an individual review system like that. They're very helpful on Merch by Amazon, as any any product is on Amazon. You know, The more reviews, the more good reviews you get, the, the higher up the rankings you go. Um, on Etsy, they do seem to be quite important there as well. So yeah, th- those all 
contribute. I don't think, yeah, T Public doesn't have an, a rating system like that either. So it's usually Etsy and Amazon where where those reviews matter. The kind of marketplaces, less the POD sites, more the POD marketplace opportunities. Do you do anything to encourage or solicit those reviews or can you? I mean, with Etsy, I think you, you kind of can. You can, because you have that option to kind of give them a message after they've bought something. So you could try and get something in there. And obviously, you have the ability to message them via Etsy. So you could say, hey, would you like to leave a review? I, we don't do that myself, or, or I should say my sister who really runs the Etsy store. What we have been doing actually over the, because of the shutdown and stuff, a lot of our shirts through Etsy, which we've been using Printify or Printful, depending on who's fastest at the moment, they've been delayed quite significantly, sometimes up to three or four weeks. So we've been reaching out proactively to, to people and saying, hey, sorry, this is going to be three weeks from now. Do you still want it? Would you like us to cancel your order? Da, 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 da. And a lot of people have been very positive and usually because you kind of made a bit of a personal connection, they tend to leave a review or whatever and, and do stuff like that. So, so that's been working quite well. What's a day in the life look like today in managing this business? Certainly now there's two sides to this business for me. There's the, I guess you could call it the management of what we already have, which really is managing an Etsy store, man- making sure all those orders are on top. And then just keeping an eye on what's happening, whether it's Merch by Amazon or Redbubble or Public, dealing with copycats, which is an ongoing problem, and kind of admin jobs like that. And then creating new designs, which to be honest, I'm, I'm nowhere near producing the same kind of volume that I was two or three years ago, but we're still creating the odd design here and there and stuff. And then the other half of my job, of course, now is I am doing a lot more writing and blogging and YouTube streaming about t-shirt design and stuff like that. I try and split my day into two almost. So I spend usually my mornings being a bit more creative, maybe coming up with ideas, looking at what's happening on the marketplaces and stuff and making sure everything's working. I also have an agent who works with me to license my designs offline. So we have a lot of back and forth on emails with various companies he's talking to. So for example, Hot Topic would like to license this design. Can you do some comps for this or whatever? So there's a lot of that kind of thing that goes on now. I'm thankful in many ways that it's less the churn of having to manually upload hundreds of designs a day, which if I go back two or three years, I, around this time of the year, I especially remember sitting in my, in my office at home, uploading hundreds of designs on Merch by Amazon and just working my way down a Google spreadsheet. And that's all I did for like days on end. So I'm happy now that, that I don't have to do that. And I've got a bit more creative energy going on and I can create designs that I want to create. I'm less chasing trends. I'm more kind of finding the groove that, that we know is successful for us and our business and our clients. And it, I think that thing is important as well, that aspect of partnership. Like, when you're licensing stuff offline, like to a hot topic or a target or something, it really is a partnership and you're kind of working towards doing the best design you can so that it gets the best response. And people don't really think that way when it comes to online. You know, people don't think Redbubble and I are partners and we are trying to give customers what they want. They think, I've got designs. Redbubble's simply the vehicle, the, the nameless shelf on which I'm going to pop my stuff. And yeah. hopefully it's going to work for me. And, and people think like that. Is Redbubble better than TeePublic? Is TeePublic better than this one? People don't approach it as, hey, these guys are, are websites with customers. How can I create the design that's really going to connect with their customer that they want? Because that's what Redbubble wants and TeePublic wants and everyone else. How can you create the design that's on trend, that fits their marketplace, that fits their demographic? And is really going to connect with them. And if you think like that, I think you, you give yourself an advantage and you, you, know, you start to really develop a mindset that could really help you 
as you grow the business as well. And it's going to help you if you if you do get to a place where, you know, hey, Target wants to license one of your designs or something like that. Yeah. Well, tell me about these offline licensing deals, because you're the first person in the merch world, at least that I've connected with, who's brought this up. This sounds fascinating, you know, to be able to get <laughs> to get Nick. My designs like on the shelf of a brick and mortar store seems pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm still finding out myself, really. It's been it's been a long process to try and kind of learn and get there. But over the past few years, I think it was 2017, maybe, I kind of looked at our portfolio of designs. We maybe had, I don't know, a thousand designs or something at the time. And I was just thinking, gosh, we've got a lot of designs and they're only being used online. And some of them are really good and doing really well. And surely there must be a way for us to get these in in other places or there must be other opportunities, you know, not necessarily online. So I started learning a bit about licensing, the licensing industry, and that there are various trade shows. There's a couple of big trade shows every year that happen in the licensing space. These are usually where, I don't know, Paw Patrol will go and do their licensing deals or Warner Brothers will go and do their licensing deals. But we actually got a booth at one of these shows in London, probably the smallest booth in the whole show, up away from where all the big guys are. And it was basically me and my sister, and we had a display that showed a load of our designs. And we were basically like, we're art licenses. So we create these designs and we will license you our artwork. And there was a few people kind of doing similar stuff. And to be honest, it was a pretty slow show. We spent a lot of time twiddling our thumbs and stuff. But from that show, we made five or 10 connections that were really valuable. One of which is now my licensing agent who licenses my work primarily in the States. And he he talks to whether it's brick and mortar stores or big department stores or whatever. And his job is basically to go out, take our designs and try and license them to, to these places. So, so what, what should I look for when I'm in Target? Do you have, <laughs> do you have like an example that you're willing to share <laughs> yeah, publicly? I don't think we have any in Target at the moment. We do have some that are trialing in Hot Topic and we have some that are trialing in Spencer's at the moment. But a, another interesting aspect here is there's an artist called Stephen Rhodes. Some people may be familiar with him and his work. He started off with Redbubble and Public and stuff. He now sells via Hot Topic as well. He's, he actually licenses his stuff via Threadless. So many people will be familiar with Threadless.com. What a lot of people don't know about Threadless.com is that if you really get some success on Threadless, they have an offline licensing kind of arm to their business. So they will take some of the best-selling designs from Threadless and they'll go and start licensing these you know, in various places. And, and Stephen Rhodes is one of those successful artists on Threadless who's kind of found it that route. And Threadless is actually the only site I know that has anything like that. It's only last year that I actually started putting my designs on Threadless, and they've not done amazingly on Threadless on the website, but they have been picked up for this offline licensing program as a result of a kind of good fit with their platform and their and their customers, I guess. So that's that's another way you can kind of approach it. Interesting. So it sounds like either through an agent or through an existing platform, they'll go out and try and form, they'll try and sell your art kind of on your behalf to these bigger players, what's a typical licensing fee or how does the deal structure work? Yeah, so it, it is contract-based and it's usually, I think, anywhere between 5 and 10%. That may even be a little bit high for the actual, so that would be on the retail sales side. That would be 10% of retail sales, something like that. So it's it's uh, I suppose it's comparable with a lot of online stuff, and it depends on the the market and stuff. And there's issues of, around exclusivity and things like that. There's also issues around copyright. For example, I have to sign something that says yes, this is completely my work, 
if Hot Topic gets sued by someone because of this design, I will indemnify Hot Topic of all the legal issues that arise from that. So it's it's really, you know, it's not something that people should enter into lightly, but, and it is a long, long burner. Like it's only in the past year or so that we've started to make significant income from our offline licensing. You know, it's nowhere near the kind of instant feedback that you get from online. But yeah, I think for certainly for artists who have a unique style, who have an original approach and who are really thinking long term, then I would start by exploring the world of licensing, maybe go to one of these shows. They're usually free to to get a badge to, to just walk around and you can talk to the people who are there. There's usually off in the corner in a cluster somewhere, there's a some artists with their own little booths who are just kind of hunkered down while the Sonys of the world parade it around making million dollar deals and stuff. But yeah, there's there's usually people you can talk to and people are usually quite friendly and, and open about this kind of stuff. How does it work? What, what would you recommend? Is it worth it? I would say it was worth it for us to get a booth at, at such a show, but I'm not sure it's worth it for everyone. It really depends on the style of, of work that you produce. And I think you kind of really need to know who you're targeting and who you're hoping to meet there. And a lot of these trade shows, the good thing about them is they, they often have online directories of who's going, not just who's going to have a booth at the show, but also who's going to be walking the show and what companies are they coming from. So if you know, for example, that, oh, my designs would really be a good fit for Hot Topic, then you can see, oh, look, Sarah, from who's a buyer from Hot Topic, is going to be there. So she's a good person to try and connect with or something. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting world, not one that I've got my head around completely. Yet. I'm still learning as I go, but it's it's nice to have another arrow in your quiver kind of thing, another stream of income that you can approach. Yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of see how if it is an evergreen topic, it could be that 10% of sales month after month after month, and it can go wide as well. Like, you know, if this is going to be distributed across the whole, every hot topic or every Target or Walmart yeah, in yeah. the world. Like- and this, I mean, I've got a couple of interviews on my blog, actually. One with Stephen Rhodes, who's the artist I mentioned earlier, which is really good. He goes into detail about how he how he started that stuff. And another with, forget his name, but this guy does, does massive amounts of licensing offline. So yeah, the, if you're in, interested in that, then check out my blog and, and my artist interviews. There's a couple of, of resources there. Absolutely. We'll link that stuff up for everyone in the show notes here. This is going to be a weird question, but... Is there any hope for a non-designer to make any meaningful income in this business? <laughs> I, I think there absolutely is. I think the problem I have talking about that is I'm not that person. Right. And I think there are kind of two two sides that seem to do very well in this business. One is the designers and the artists who actually have the kind of innate abilities and you know they're able to kind of create stuff and, and do things quickly and stuff. They have those skills. The other side is people who just for lack of a better word, they're just really hardcore sellers. They just knuckle down, they get their heads down, and they just kind of produce a lot of stuff, and they just kind of work very, very hard at it. And not necessarily with great designs, not necessarily thinking about a long-term business, but just kind of absolutely cashing in on what's there right now. And I think kind of, if you're not a designer, of course, you have have the approach of you can hire people to create designs for you, you can commission people to do that, or you could learn yourself. But hear from a lot of people and I do get the impression that for a lot of people it's like, well, I'm not a designer. I don't really want to be a designer, but I would like to make money. And this seems like a pretty easy way to do so. And I think, yeah, okay. I'm certainly never going to tell anyone you can't make money from this. I know a lot of people who are not designers who have made very good money from it, but yeah, three and four years into the the cycle, it's going to be harder and harder and you need something that sets you apart. 
And to what extent is this like, okay, I can reap the passive income of rewards now versus hey, if I stand still, there's an entire world of designers out there gunning for my positions in search results and all this stuff. Where it's like, if I stand still, slowly that income starts to erode. So you have to kind of constantly be creating and innovative and kind of like trying to build a moat as best you can and trying to get these other offline licensing deals. I'm curious if there's ever a uh, back and relax portion. Yeah, I think that's kind of the way I've always approached it is let's use these organic channels as they're available to us while they're available to us. And let's, to the best of our ability, take that and invest the profits from that in something that can be more long-term, whether that's offline licensing and trying to find more leads and opportunities for that, or whether it's building more of a brand, um, whether that's a shop. Um, when, when you say brand, people often think, oh, he means a Shopify store that sells t-shirts. But brand can be so much more than that. A brand can be Instagram following YouTube channel could be whatever, and you could be a YouTube channel that sells merch, or you could be a web comic creator that sells merch or whatever. You know, there's so many different ways and approaches. So yeah, I think it's it's about kind of finding the right fit for you. And I certainly would not recommend, like I said earlier, that anyone goes into this thinking, oh, the end goal is thousands of dollars a month with merch by Amazon. Because You'll get there, and it's happened to me. You get there, and you're like, "This is great," and then you're like, "Oh, but what about next month?" And then you're like, "Oh, but this design started slipping, and now I need to constantly be churning out new stuff." It's a bit like the trap of being a YouTuber who's constantly doing, I don't know, YouTube videos about the next, the latest drama or whatever's happening, and they constantly have to churn stuff out. It's just like, well, this is really a hard way to to make money. After a while, you get tired, and you want to do something else, or you want to do something that's a bit more. I don't know, unique and original to you. So I think, yeah, I'd recommend you start thinking now about what might that be in two or three years. Let's say, let's do a mind game of in two years time, I make $10,000 a month from Merch by Amazon. Then what do I do? And let's say that every new design you create, you never get more than 10,000 a month. Let's say that that happens. There's like a ceiling on your earnings for some reason. And you sit at that ceiling, what are you going to do? Because Merch by Amazon isn't going to, Automat, you know, it's not going to turn a switch and be, oh, now we're doing branding. Now you can build a brand on Merch by Amazon. That's never really going to happen. It's always going to be a cash flow business. So I would think now, okay, where do I take those profits? Where do I invest them? What do I build for the long term that is more sustainable for me and my brand? And whether that's you as an artist or maybe it's something completely different. I don't know. It could be another business that you start. But that's kind of the way I've always thought about it because I, I used to work for an, an SEO agency. And I was working for that agency when things like the Panda update hit and the Penguin update hit, which is where all these all these websites just got smashed off the front page of, of Google and whole industries and whole websites and businesses went down overnight. And I always thought, wow, organic is a difficult and dangerous place to play in. And you want to be in a position where Merch or Amazon can't turn a switch and reduce your royalties overnight or something like that. You want to be building something that's more stable. I like that stuff, kind of reinvesting in the avenues that make sense for you. And it's a lot like blogging and affiliate marketing in that way, where yes, it can be very time leveraged. I can create this blog post, I can create this t-shirt design once and have it drive traffic and make commissions and make sales and make royalties without my direct involvement. But if that's all I do, and I don't keep creating the next thing or defending that article or building more links or updating it, making sure it's up to date, it slowly starts to erode. So I imagine it's it's kind of the same thing here, reinvesting for the long term. 
Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely the same thing, especially over the long term. Like obviously the early days, and and I was very fortunate to be in at the early days of Merch by Amazon. So we do have designs that are very well established, and they're probably not never going to be shaken off their top spot in certain specific niches. But there's a lot of designs we have that do, and they do get eaten into, and copycats do appear, and it is a, a game of cat and mouse, and constantly putting stuff out there. I mean, I, I feel kind of soft saying it because what do you have to do? You create t-shirt designs. It's not like my grandpa's generation who had to go down a pit and dig coal from the ground or something. You know, it's a relatively easy job. When you find somebody copycatting your designs and it's really blatant, do you have any recourse when that happens? Yeah. So you have the DMCA recourse of sending a takedown notice. So most platforms, well, all platforms legally have to have to do that. If you send a notice and you say, this is my design, here it is. This is my original. This is your copy, which is on your website. I am the owner. Here's my address. You give them basic details about yourself. Take it down. They have to legally take it down. So that is is what you can do. Unfortunately, that is you know a cat and mouse game, and you don't have any kind of proactive protection. So you can take it down. They can put it up again tomorrow, which unfortunately happens. So it is it is cat and mouse, and it is a pain. To be honest, I think in the next few years, we'll begin to see some more solutions around that. We're already seeing Redbubble and Public and others. They're very aware that this is a problem. It's not like it's not something they know about. All their artists are always complaining about it. So they are beginning to implement certain things like you know image recognition technology to try and deal with things before they pop up and things. So I think that will, that will grow and develop. And we may find in a, in a few years' time that copycats are less of a thing and, and it is more there's been protections in place and and these things have developed. So I'm kind of optimistic about that for the long term, but it's still painful in the short term. Yeah, you would think like if it's if it's close enough, there could be some like image recognition, like, oh, that design matches really closely to this one that we already yeah, have. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, very good. MichaelEssek.com, E-S-S-E-K. We'll link that up for you below. Michael, thanks so much for joining me, taking me through uh, kind of the current state of merch and all the different ins and outs of what it takes to not just make money, but to build a brand, to build a business and to build something for the long term through this print on demand technology. It's really exciting stuff and I appreciate you joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I really think thinking long term is something that few people really do <laughs> when it comes to any kind of business opportunity. And I think it's served me well. I've made a lot of mistakes in this business. I've, I've missed a lot of opportunities, things that I kick myself about regularly. But I think if there's anything that I've done well, it's thinking long-term and thinking, okay, how are these designs going to help me a year or two from now? And that applies to everything. It's not just designs. It's also I've created designs. How can I build a side income from that? So, you know, I, I built a blog. I built a kind of a mini business around me helping people do this kind of thing as well, whether that's through courses and books and stuff. So all that kind of stuff ties in. And it's always, I think, if you can think, what's the step after the next step? And, you know, you don't have to have it down perfectly. Of course, none of us do. But if you can start thinking about that now, instead of always being, oh, the cash is here, oh, the cash is there, and, and chasing various different rabbits, then... Um, then I think that really that really helps. Yeah, something I could probably use some help with too is this long-term thinking. Uh, it goes a long way. So very much appreciate you sharing that. Once again, sidehustlenation.com slash Michael is where you'll find the full text summary of our call, along with links to all the resources mentioned. That is it for me. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet a friend of mine who's dominating what I'll call local e-commerce. She doesn't ship anything. She can't ship anything. Yet she still built a really loyal following and a lucrative following here in town. I'll see you then. Hustle on.